guys are, as Pastor Zach said, we so dearly love our family and friends down here in usually warm Miami. Um, we brought the gift of cold to you this weekend, this week, so praise God for that. Uh, it's great to be with you guys. My, my family and I, we've been traveling uh, the last week and a half or so, visiting family and friends around Florida, and it's been on our heart now for uh, a few years to make our way down here, and just time after time, something came up, kids sick, things happened, so forth, but the Lord opened the door for us to be here this week and just to spend time with people we dearly love. Uh, we, we love the fellowship here. Um, I, I've gotten to know some of you over the years now, um, the f- times we've gotten together, and of course, the Vasquez family we've known for a long time. So we are blessed to be here, and thank you for having us. Uh, our, our, your family in Gainesville loves you guys as well, and send their love to you. So uh, we're going to get in the Word in a moment, but um, if you want to open your Bibles to, to the uh, epistle of Jude, as we sort of begin there. But before we do, I'm going to just pray. So Father, again, thank you. Thank you for uh, the body of Christ, Lord, that uh, the way you have formed us, the way you have fashioned us, Lord, we uh, love the way you connect our hearts in you, Lord. We can get together with uh, in some ways strangers, and yet, Lord, we have this common faith, this common salvation, and, and there's an instant bond, a connection, and we thank you for that. We thank you for your spirit, the way he ministers among us and through us, and we thank you for your word, Lord, the lamp to our feet, the light to our path, the encouragement it is to our souls. And so we would just invite you now tonight, Lord, through your word, to minister through this time. In Jesus' name, together we say... Amen. Amen. So, again, it is a blessing to be here. We do love you guys. In fact, we love you so much. We took three kids under 10 and drove five hours to come down here. So, if you know uh, anything about that, you know that's no small task. Um, But we're having a blast. The kids are having a blast. We have uh, three, as I said, Mia. She is the oldest of our bunch. She's nine years old. We have Asa, our, our one and only boy. He is six years old. And then our little energizer battery. Um, Zoe, she's turning three in February. So pray for us. You know, we have our hands full. Um, They are a blessing. They are fun. They are exhausting all at the same time. Um, But I was thinking about them, and as I was thinking about our our scripture here this uh, evening, and thinking about a routine that I've had with them, uh, especially when ever since they're first born, whenever I have the chance to put them to bed at night. Typically, Micheline will do this as well, but um, we'll, we'll get together and we'll, we'll pray and we'll go through a little devotion with them. Every once in a while, we'll, we'll sing some worship with them. We'll go through the whole brushing the teeth, the clothes, the whole thing, put them in bed, tuck them in. And then Daddy does a, a little routine um, just about every time I, I go into bed, you know, put them to bed. I tell them first, Daddy loves them. I give them a little kiss on the cheek or the forehead. Then I'll tell them Mommy loves them, give them another kiss. And then I'll go through the siblings. So, you know, Mia loves you, Zoe, and give her another kiss. And then Asa loves you. And then I tell them, Jesus loves you. And I give them tons of kisses until they just want to push me away kind of thing. And I tell them, don't ever forget that. And part of the reason why I do that, just a conviction I've had, is that uh, we want our children to know from the day they were born. And we want it for them to be, if there's anything we can bury in their hearts 
uh, when they grow up and they remember and they know, uh, well, mom and dad were crazy, but this is what they taught us, uh, that Jesus loves me. That's the, st- that's the point we want them to, to have stuck in their hearts and their minds. And so from the earliest ages, you know, we do that. In our, in our children's ministry, we, we sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And, and the reason why is because it's that simple truth. There's no doubt one of the most important truths for any of us to ever take hold of, not just as a baby, but all the way through our lives to hold fast to a simple and yet most essential truth that Christ loves us. It's something that even the gospel writers and the, the biblical writers would tell us we should be reminded of and hold fast to every day. Uh, Jude's a good example of that. If you're familiar with the epistle of Jude, and we're not going to read through the entire text here this evening, but Jude, he's warning the church. It was in his heart to just rejoice with them in our common salvation, but he had a conviction. The Lord had shown him that there were false teachers that would come in amongst the church, and certainly that would be amplified in the last days as we live in. And so he warns them of the characteristic and of the nature of false teachers. He talks about the temptations that can drift us away from Christ, from false doctrines in the church, and he identifies those things that could lead us astray. And as he concludes his letter, at the end of the letter, uh, I want you to glance with me for just a moment what he says here to the church in verse 20. He says, but you beloved, and he dearly loved the church as Christ loves the church, He says, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, here's the instruction, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Jude recognized that just as you and I might remind our children every night before they go to bed, that we need to be constantly reminded of and mindful of keeping ourselves in God's love. That it's important for us to be strengthened in the Lord as we meditate on us. Now, we think, that's so simple. You know, why would I need to, to be keeping myself? Jesus loves me. He, he died for me. You know, these beautiful songs we sang tonight of his love for us. Yes, of course. And yet we also know that with any sort of relationship, how, how important it is for us to to continue to foster and encourage and to stir up love, certainly within marriages, right? Husbands, wives, you know this. You don't just wake up every morning and just, you know, selflessly, sacrificially, sacrificially just, I'm going to love my wife completely. It's all about her only, always, all the time. No problem. Maybe you guys do. I'm, I'm a little more selfish than you are. My wife, she does it because she's a saint. But, you know, for me, uh, I have to work on it. I have to be mindful to keep myself uh, focused on loving my spouse. And it's the same thing, no doubt, with Christ. And so where I'd like for us to actually spend a little time camping this evening uh, is in 1 John chapter 4. And if you turn back just a little bit to your left there. And the thing I'd, we're going to consider and look at, simple question, well, what is love? If we're supposed to keep ourselves in the love of Christ, what is that? How do we even define what love is? You know, it's interesting. You can look throughout history, and great philosophers have tried to define love. You hear quotes from Socrates and Aristotle opining about 
the depths of what this thing we have in humanity of love really is. Scientists, they'll try to explain the neurological processes that cause us to express and to love one another. You think about in, you know, the, the, the cultural atmosphere, countless musicians throughout, throughout history have tried to define what love is. In fact, there are over 10,000 songs on file at the U.S. Copyright Office that begin with the words, love is. Over 10,000. And so, think about it. The world has a lot of different ideas and answers to define love. And they run the gamut, right? Um, But today, in the scriptures, we find exactly what the Bible teaches us, what love is. 1 John 4, John, he's instructing the church on how to love one another. And he explains how to do this by first letting us know, well, what does it mean to really understand what love really is. So look with me in verse seven, what we'll pick up tonight. It says, beloved. He says, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So the first thing I just want you to notice very simply with me this evening is that if we want to know what love is, then the place we have to first look to is God, because Love is of God. John tells us, God, he is the author. He is the creator. He is the the inventor of love. He's the source of love. He's where love comes from. And John says that those who love, we do so because love is a fruit of God. And you might say, well, wait, wait a minute, Pastor Rob. I know a lot of Christians, or people who aren't Christians, or people who aren't religion, religious, and yet they love. They love one another. They are in love. There are things in their lives that they love, and, and no doubt to some degree that is true, and so we need to first make sure we understand what we mean and what the scriptures mean by love, how it's of God. So for instance, I love coffee. Anyone here love coffee? Yeah, I know Miami. I understand Cafe Con Leche. I get it. Um, If you didn't know, your pastor loves coffee. All you have to do is spend a day with him and buy his sixth cup today. I figured out, yeah, he really loves coffee. Um, But, you know, we we love coffee. Um, I love uh, my wife. And yet I don't love those same things at the same degree. And I definitely shouldn't, right? Because I'd be in big trouble. Um, I love my kids. I love our church. I love this church. I love God. And of course, what I mean by the word love in each of those statements, they have different meanings. There are different degrees of love. There are different depths of love for each of those things. And I know you guys are well taught here at Calvary Chapel, Miami, and so uh, I won't go into to the, to the degree of it tonight, but in the scriptures and in the Greek, we find the same truth. There in the Greek uh, Words, there are multiple words that we translate into the English love, but this word we have here in 1 John 4 is the Greek word agape. And agape is considered the highest form of love because it is the love that comes from God. So this love is more than coffee love, right? This love is more than brotherly love or spousal love. There's nothing in this world that can compare to agape. There's no other thing in this world that can give to us this love that we're reading of here tonight. Agape, as it is in the Greek, it's the perfect, pure, 
powerful love of God. And it's this word agape that's going to be used 18 times in the next nine verses. That's the love that we see being defined here. So first we see love is of God. Um, And then also as we get into verse 8, it says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So he tells us, listen, not only does love come from God, but God himself is love. So this love is at the very nature of God, of who he is. It's his character. It's him. God is love. God doesn't just do loving things. No, he himself is love. That's an important distinction to understand because let's say, for example, if we're ever afraid or maybe we've been worried that God, he's angry with us. You know, sometimes uh, we can have that sort of relationship with a, a child to a parent. We do something wrong we know we shouldn't have, and then we start questioning, worrying, is, is mom dad, and dad upset with me? Or maybe we think we've done something to disqualify us from God's love. Maybe we're those who feel undeserving of his love. If the thought ever crosses our mind, I don't know that God, God doesn't love me. This statement tells us none of those things are true. That God loves us not because we earn it, not because we deserve it, not because of who we are or who we're not, not because of something we've done or haven't done. No, God loves us because it's who he is. He is love. For God to not love us would make him no longer God. It's who he is. And since God doesn't change, his love towards us doesn't change. So we can know this for sure tonight. God always loves you in all situations, in all circumstances, no matter what, because it's who he is. God is, God is love. And so as we doubt that, as we have those, those moments of, you know, maybe feeling, uh, does God love me? If we ever have skepticism, about the love of God. John says uh, there's no, no dispute, nothing to question. God is love. And even more than that, we can know that God's love uh, for us is true personally for each one of us because we can see the way that God has manifested his love to us. Notice here in verse 9, he goes on, he says, in this the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So how many of us know that to love somebody is far more than just saying it, right? You can tell someone you love them. There are people who say, I love you to their spouse every day, and yet they never show it, right? Saying the words, I love you, we should say those, no doubt, and yet at the same time, those words can be empty. We understand true love. It's more than words. It's more than, you know, teenagers, you know, going out for, uh, you know, a drink at Sonic or something and gazing into each other's eyes, oogly oogly, and telling the other one, I love you, no, I love you more, no, I love you more, no, I love you more, right? It's more than a feeling. It's more than an emotion. 
The proof of love, the Bible tells us, is seen in how it's lived out. So love is demonstrated not simply by what we say, but how we act upon our love. And so he tells us, if you want to understand what love is, if you really want to know what God's love is all about, if you want to grasp the love of God, then we ought to look at how God has shown his love to us. How has he manifested? How has he demonstrated his love towards us? And John tells us that God's love was manifested towards us in this. He sent his son into this world to be the propitiation for our sins. Now that word propitiation, it speaks of God paying the penalty of our sin for us. We understand, again, I know many of you have been well taught, the Bible says we all sin, right? We all fall short of God's glory. And if you're thinking to yourself, no, I don't sin, then you're proving my point because you're a liar and lying's a sin. <laughs> we used to do a, a, a ministry at a rehab center, um, an elderly um, facility. For many years, we would do a Bible study, and uh, there was a sweet old lady, her name was Esther, and uh, she was in her 90s, and she's been in the church her whole life. Um, beautiful woman of God. Just she would come and she'd love, we'd sing hymns together and we'd study through the word. And uh, one time I, would, I, would, I went up to Miss Esther and after we had our Bible study and talking to her and how are you doing today? I'm good, God's good, everything's good, yeah. And she just says to me, you know, but I have something, Pastor Rob, that I've just been bothered about lately. And I said, what's that? She goes, well, every time you come, you just talk about sin. She goes, and I don't do that anymore. <laughs> okay, I'll pray for you, <laughs> you know. But we all sin, right? And the Bible tells us the wages of sin, the penalty is death. But we also know Jesus came and he paid the penalty for our sin. He was the propitiation for our sin. He died on the cross so we could be forgiven as he was a sacrifice for us. Amen? All right, we understand that's the gospel. But understand that John's saying, well, that's how God showed and demonstrated his love for us. The way we know the love of God, the way we see his love, is by understanding he sent his son to die for us so that we might be saved. Now, I want to just take a moment to really understand how amazing that is. How many of us know Jesus loves us? Would you raise your hand if you know that? Yeah, I would pray every single person here tonight would raise our hands. The question I want you to think about for a moment is why? <laughs> you know, why would the God of all creation, which as you study the scriptures and you think of what an amazing, marvelous God he is. The scriptures say, for example, he knows every star, he's counted them, and he knows them by name. As far as science has been able to show us today, if you were to understand that the size of the universe, some hundred million or so light years across to travel from one end to the other, something like six sextillion stars. I don't even know what number that is, but that's what Google will tell you. <laughs> and yet he knows everyone. You know, he can, he can look up with us and you see that one over there? Yeah, that's Freddy or whatever, you know. He knows every star by name. Incredible, mind-boggling. He holds the, the whole universe in his hands. That's how great and amazing God is. And so why would this God of all creation 
loves you and me. (laughs) There's this wonderful text in Isaiah chapter 40. It tells us that as God looks down upon the earth and upon us, he sees us as if we were grasshoppers. That as great as God is, that's how small we are compared to him. We're like little grasshoppers jumping around, you know, maybe in a frantic state. Now let me ask you, how many of us can say we truly love grasshoppers? No, no show of hands tonight. Well, all right, a couple of grasshopper lovers here. I'll pray for you as well. But, you know, um, I know Miami. I don't know if there's, what grasshoppers are like in Miami. I know Miami, you're notorious for another invasive animal, the Burmese python, right? And I don't know about all that. If we, we stay up north, we're sort of away from that. In Gainesville, we have an invasive species of grasshoppers. It's called the Eastern Luber grasshopper. It's about this big sometimes. It's black and it's ugly. It is disgusting. They come into your yards and all they do is they eat all of your plants, they eat all your vegetables, and just sort of make themselves merry upon your beautiful gardens. And my wife is thrilled about that. So, you know, when I see these things, I despise them. I don't love them. I smash them. (laughs) I throw them in buckets of water and watch them drown. (laughs) They say that's the humane way, so don't be upset with me. That's what they say. So... But imagine for a moment, imagine if someone told me that I can give those grasshoppers who are eating up my wife's garden eternal life. And imagine they said, Rob, you can have a personal relationship with those grasshoppers. And Rob, the way you can do that is you're going to take your son Asa and he's going to become a grasshopper and he's going to live amongst the grasshoppers And they're going to hate him and despise him and they're going to put him to death and they're going to crucify him so that those grasshoppers can go to heaven. How many of us would think I would do that to my son? Of course, none of us would do that to any of our children. There's not a chance in the world. And yet that's exactly what God did for us. You know, it's one thing to say, God loves you. And it's true, he does. He loves you. He loves us. But we know it's a lot more than just words. God proved his love. That he sent his son to die for us grasshoppers so that we can be saved and know him and have eternal life. John says, by this, God's love is manifested to us. He sent his only son to be a propitiation for us. Well, let's keep reading here, verse 11. There's even more... He says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, that makes sense. God's loved us. We should love one another. We're supposed to love one another the way that God loves us. He goes on, verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. So notice John, he goes on to say, look, God desires for each of us not just only to know God's love and that he loves us, but even more, he wants his love to be made complete in us. He wants us to experience his love, that we would know his presence abiding in our lives, the presence of God 
you know, with us and in us. The idea is that God's presence becomes personally known to us. Not that he's just the God somewhere out there in a big distance controlling all the world, but that his love personally and specifically and individually is shown to you and to me. He says that we know his love because his Holy Spirit is within us and he is evident in our lives. And so this almighty God desires for us to have a personal relationship with him and for each of us to personally experience his love. So not only does God want us just to know about his love and to say, oh yes, we know God loves us. And not only just for us to understand the way in which God 2,000 years ago demonstrated his love for us, but he wants every one of us to personally experience it. And if we don't know that, he has a way of showing that to us. Um, my wife I, uh, has, I believe, shared with the late, some of the ladies here before in uh, some of the uh, women's retreats, and I know she's shared some testimony of the way God has revealed some of his love to us in our lives through some of the trials we've personally been through. Uh, one I'll, I'll share with you tonight that uh, we went through together, and this was the way in which the Lord was doing a work in me. When my son uh, Asa, who I said he was six years old now, when he was born, uh, the night we took him home from the hospital, uh, he stopped breathing in the middle of the night. And my, wo- my wife, she woke up in the middle of the night because she heard him struggling. You know, she could tell that there was something bothering him. And, and we turn on the light and we see his mouth is, is it's tightly closed, it's puckered, and he wasn't able to breathe. And so she picks him up, and she tries helping him, uh, and notices that he's not breathing. And so she, you know, Robert, Robert, get up, call the ambulance, call, call 911. So I call 911, and I've never done anything like that before. I'm disoriented. It's 4 o'clock in the morning, uh, sort of in this panic state. And they're, they're asking me, okay, where do you live? What's the situation? And wanting all these details. And as I'm trying to remember even my home address and what's happening, I'm watching my son go from white to pink to red to purple. And as this is happening, I'm not able to process it all, but finally, by God's grace, my wife was able to wedge her finger into his mouth, down his throat, open up his airway, and to get him to breathe. A few minutes later, uh, the ambulance shows up, and they check his vitals. Um, He was fine. We take him to the hospital as a precaution for the next 20 hours or so. They're doing diagnostics, all these things. They found no problems. They couldn't explain what happened. Uh, They said it's called an apparent apparent life-threatening event, which basically means we have no idea what happened. How assuring and comforting is that to a parent of a newborn? By God's grace, he was okay, and praise God, it's never happened again. But in that moment, wow, how our lives were immediately turned upside down and changed. And so this sort of violent introduction to his birth happened, and uh, for the next, you know, couple of weeks, (laughs) we're up every night taking turns. Is he breathing? Is he sleeping? Is he okay? He's moving. Is he not moving? Hand on, on his chest, as, or we're holding him, you know, sleepless for the next few weeks. Again, by God's grace, everything was good. So 
Um, during that time, I had planned, uh, and I was able to take a couple of weeks off uh, for the church. We had guys coming and filling in and serving, and I was a real blessing. Uh, and then so I came to church for the first Wednesday evening um, after my son's birth, about a couple weeks later. And I wasn't teaching. I was just there enjoying the evening. And as I was, uh, we were there worshiping together um, with, with the body and singing songs. I was just thanking God for what he did to protect my son. Thanking the Lord uh, for him, you know, uh, having his hand on him and that he's been doing well and all these things. And as we're there, just before the Lord, I could hear the Lord speak in the still small voice. He said to me, Rob, if I took Asa home that night, would you have surrendered him to me? And my first reaction was panic. You know, I was in this, oh, Lord, you're so good. Thank you for your grace in our lives. And then, but Rob, what if I took him home? Would you have surrendered him to me? And that instant, I lost it. I started thinking. No one, no one saw it. It was just in my mind and my heart. I was just slumped over. Lord, how can you ask me that? Why would you do that, Lord? I'm starting to get overwhelmed in the middle of it. And just, you know, this, the heart's starting to elevate. I'm thinking back to the night, you know, previous when we're driving to the hospital and eyes are sobbing, Lord, please protect my son, please protect my son, and just all the emotion of it, and then all of a sudden, the Lord, I heard him speak again, he said, don't worry, Rob, you don't have to give your son for me, I gave my son for you. And in that moment, instantly, there was this tremendous peace like I had never seen before in my life. The, the love that I knew of God became so real and so personal in that moment that his grace, his love just washed over me. And I was able to understand, you know, after a few weeks uh, in a deeper way than I ever knew before how much God loved me. To know the heartbreak and the weightiness of the, the fear for us of, of losing our, our son. And yet God did that very thing for us. It was in that way the Lord was just showing me, Rob, uh, it's not only that I, I so love the world. We love John 3.16. It's an incredible verse. God so loved the world. And yet it's just as equally fair to say, God so loves me. God so loved you. And we can put our names there. That he gave his son for us. And that's his desire for us. To not just know of his love, but to personally experience it to know it individually in our own lives. Because here's the thing. Here's what happens when the love of God comes into your life. It transforms you. It changes you. Your life changes. As you begin to apprehend the love of God, it changes how you spend your time. You know, you decide on a, in the middle of a busy week, I'm gonna be at church, learning the word and worshiping, rather than resting after a long day. When you get the love of God, you know, in your life and in your heart, it changes your attitude. It changes what you live for. When you experience Jesus' love, it, it changes you. And, you know, I'm sure you guys have seen it and you know it. You, you see when someone has apprehended the love of Jesus. You see it on them. You could hear it. Uh, this morning, we, you know, we woke up and we were enjoying some coffee because we love coffee at the Vasquez home. And <laughs> so we were doing that and, and uh, we turned on the radio station 
And there, Pastor Raz, he's on the radio. Anyone hear Pastor Raz in the mornings? The first time I heard his, his live call-in show, and what a blast, right? Singing along to the songs, rhyming. You know, he has people calling in. He's just joyful with the callers and laughing. And just by listening, even if I didn't know him, I could tell he drinks a lot of cafe con leche. No, he loves Jesus, right? You, you just know it. It oozes from, from him. The love of Jesus changed his life. And of course, we understand the kind of things that they've experienced this past year. And yet God's love strengthens us. It sustains us. It can change everything. One of the, one of the ways I've been thinking about this lately uh, is in context to fear. And you think about uh, the, the many fabrics of the ways that manifestations of fear, things like anxiety, things like worry. We live in a nation consumed with fear. You know, people are worried about the economy, worried about the stock market, worried about the election, worried about our jobs, worried about, you know, uh, our clothes, worried about, you know, our, our cars, we're worried about what we're going to make for dinner next Thursday, we're worried about, you know, being on time. You know, maybe for some of us right now, you're worried about this guest speaker finishing on time. <laughs> um, we have our schedules. We have our plans. And if they deviate from what we expect them to be, we start getting anxious. And in many ways, sort of our plans and schedules and expectations, they can control us. And, and there's a sense of fear underlying if we don't meet those goals and expectations of successes in life, day to day and long term. But I want you to even just jump down a few verses with me for a moment in, in verse 18. John says, there is no fear in love. Why? Because perfect love casts out fear. So when you experience the love of Christ, John says, it changes you in such a way where that, you know, worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. Worry about the bank account. Worry about, you know, the bills. Worry about all this. He says, it's gone. You're not worried. You know you have a God, the God of all creation, who loves you. And he's shown that love to you. And so we're free. It's not, oh, I got all these things I got to take care of today. I got to get the kids ready for school and I got to get them packed and food and this and that. And then, you know, we have this at three and this at five. Jesus loves me. This I know. <laughs> if he would send his son to die so I could have eternal life, certainly today he'll take care of the things that, I, that are in front of me. He loves me. And so we can sing along and rhyme with Pastor Raz or whatever we're doing, you know. He frees us. He changes us. Those things are gone in the love of Christ. And so verse 14, we'll back up again. John says this. He goes, we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. So John says, he's testified of God's love. He says, I can proclaim this love to you, not only because the Bible says it, 
Not only because mom taught me this as I was a little kid, not only because I learned it in Sunday school, not only because we read it you know, on, on a Wednesday night service, he says, I can testify to you of God's love because I've tasted and seen God's love. This is something I have seen, something I know, and I share this with you. And so even as we uh, prepare in a few, to, to wrap it up in just a moment, just a few closing thoughts I want us to consider here. First of all, can we say, can you say, can I say, that I have John's testimony? You know, can we say, can I testify that I have experienced the love of God? That I can share with you that God loves you because I've seen it. I know it. It's true and it's real and it's present in my life. Do you personally know his love? If tonight, maybe you've known of God's love, you believe in God's love, you've, you've been taught it and you uh, understand it, and yet you can say, I don't know if I know the love of God. I don't know if I've ever experienced the grace of Christ. I don't know if I fully have apprehended this idea of the forgiveness of his sin, for, or my sin, for my salvation personally. If I don't know that personally today, we can receive his love. We can receive forgiveness. We can be saved. We can have eternal life. And notice he tells us how to do that in verse 15. He says, because whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So here it is. John says, look, if you want to know God's love, if you want to be saved, we simply acknowledge, we confess Jesus is the Son of God. We believe Christ died and he rose again. And we ask him personally into our lives as Savior and as Lord. And as we do so, the promise here is we are given eternal life. Now, I suspect and I pray many, if not all of us, already know the love of Christ personally. If you've not done so, today's the day of salvation. And yet the reality can be, and it often is, that our relationship and that love relationship with Christ can grow cold. I want you to turn with me just to a couple, to the couple chapters to the right, to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation 2. Jesus writing through John to seven churches. And he has something to say to each church individually. Different characteristics that were present in every church. Different experiences. Different admonitions. Different encouragements. Different sometimes corrections. As there were personal and specific things that every church was uh, demonstrating and characterizing. And the first church that he speaks to is the church of Ephesus. And notice in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you've tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience 
and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Now, if we didn't have the rest of the scripture here, we'd say, wow, what a church. Ephesus was in many ways a very good church. They did a lot of good works. They were serving the Lord. If you were to visit the church of Ephesus in Miami, (laughs) you know, there's a lot of activity. There's life. Lots going on. A lot of things being done in the name of the Lord, serving the Lord. Good stuff's going on. Man, the children's ministry is dynamic. The outreach ministry, it's powerful. You know, there's, there's certainly uh, lots of things on the calendar and, and things happening. Uh, it was a happening church. Not only was it a happening church, but it was a solid church. They had good doctrine. They had persevered. They were able to identify false teachings and stay away from them. They were well-grounded in the church, in the truth. And in fact, we know uh, the history of Ephesus, and we can understand why they had such a solid foundation. Uh, Paul the Apostle himself founded the church. For three years, longer than any other place he was in his missionary journeys, he pastored and he taught the church in Ephesus. He passed the church over to Timothy, who for a long season, who was, remember, Paul's protege, right-hand man. No one liked Timothy. Timothy was their pastor. And history tells us that even the Apostle John himself, for a season, was serving and pastoring uh, there in Ephesus. Now, I know you guys have some great pastoral staff, right? You have some incredible teachers, Pastor Raz, Pastor Zach, the other pastors here, you guys are very blessed with gifted teachers, but Ephesus, man, talk about a group of teachers. So they were well taught. They were active. They were, in many ways, a great church. And yet Jesus had something against them. Notice what he says there in verse four. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you, You have left your first love. (laughs) Jesus says, you've known my love. You've experienced my love in your life. You you understand what it is. It's been manifested to you. You are a church that would be able to testify that you've seen my love in your life, and yet you've drifted away from it. You have lots of good things happening, but you've gotten caught up in all the other things and you've lost sight of me. You've not, as Jude would tell us, you've not kept yourself in the love of God. Now the reality is, is that any of us, and and I say this to our fellowship at Calvary Chapel Gainesville, especially in the Calvary Chapel movement where we are thankfully well taught and we go through the word of God and we hold fast to doctrine, and we seek to live a biblical lifestyle, how easy it is for Calvary Chapel to become Ephesus. How easy it is for me and for us to become Ephesus. And maybe that be true of some of us today. In the midst of the doing, in the midst of the the grind, in the midst of, of the things of life. And yet Jesus lovingly, what does he do? He calls us back. He says, you've left your first love. Repent. (laughs) 
Repent, you know, that, that has a stigma sometimes. You think, oh, that's such a, a harsh, dirty word. It simply means to turn back to the Lord. In the Hebrew, it means, uh, it could be translated, come home. The Lord's inviting us to come home to him. He says, remember, remember where you've fallen from and come back, turn back to me. He says, I'm ready and I'm wanting to restore you. I'm ready and wanting to cleanse you. I want you to know again, not just how I loved you 20 years ago when you got saved, but to know my love for you today. And if that's us today, we respond. We confess, Lord, I need your, your fr- a fresh filling of your love in my life. And then lastly, as we know the love of Christ personally in our lives, I think the, the last exhortation here would be for us to learn from John's example. That like John, we become people who testify of his love to this world. Um, no doubt you guys know it. Um, <laughs> we, we, we've been in Miami for a couple days, and when we first got here, if, if you're unfamiliar with Gainesville, it's not, it's not Miami. <laughs> it's a much smaller city. Um, we live even outside of the city, so we're sort of in the rural outskirts, and there's farmlands and things like that, and so my kids are not very familiar with the metropolis type of thing. And my, my oldest daughter, just uh, yesterday, we were driving around Miami. And, you know, it's active. It's busy. There's lots of things happening. And she goes, she goes, Dad, you know how sometimes when we're home in our neighborhood, you like to run, you know, take jogs at night and go around the block and things like that? And I said, yeah, yeah, of course. She goes, do you think you'd do that in Miami? <laughs> You know, there's the, um, the, the, she, sees the, she sees the city, and it's overwhelming to her. You know? I grew up in, right outside New York City, so I have some familiarity with it, but I come back to places like this, and wow, there's, look at the world around us. On one hand, it's exciting and, and, and fun and, and great, and yet at the same time, we see the world's empty. It's confused. It's lost. It's angry. It's hopeless. We were kind of going around town today, and what do we do? Well, we go to a coffee shop, right? And the coffee shop was actually just closed down. And the general manager was there, and man, just the heaviness on her face because she was losing her job in a couple of weeks. And the guy shared the Lord with her, invited her to church, and it was a really wonderful thing. But you just see the world. They don't have answers. And whether we realize it or not, the world is desperate to know the love of Christ. Whether they realize it or not. You know, some might shake their fists at us. And yet they are desperate for the love that we have. That we have tasted, we have seen, that we can testify of. And so God has given us that privilege to share that love with this world. And so I just would encourage you guys uh, in a very practical way, something that I've been trying to be more intentional about in my life, uh, just even every day this week, perhaps, uh, see to it, determine your heart, simply tell one person, Jesus loves you. It's extremely powerful. Start there and see how God might use that. Because this world needs to know his love, amen?
Well, turn to me, with me to one last place, and we're going to close with this. Ephesians chapter 3. So Ephesians chapter 3, uh, written perhaps as early as some 30 years prior to Revelation 2, Paul writing to this church in Ephesus, this good church, this active church, these people who uh, had a genuine faith and uh, sincere devotion in their relationship with God. Paul had this prayer for this church. And in some ways, I think the Lord almost prophetically would give this to Paul, foreseeing 30 years after how they drift. And maybe they would go back to the writings of Paul and see this very prayer that God desired for Ephesus to take a hold of, to apprehend. And it's certainly the prayer for me. It's the prayer for our fellowship. And, and it's my prayer for uh, my brothers and sisters here in Miami tonight. Verse 14, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, so that it's your solid foundation, that that's what you stand upon, that you keep yourself in the love of God. He says that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints, what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know, and that's to personally experience, to personally know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And he says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so Paul's prayer for the church of Ephesus is not just grounded in his love, but to ever be growing in knowing the love of Christ. And he gives us four dimensions of it. You know, it's sort of, it's beyond our knowledge. For eternity, when we're with Christ, we are never going to reach the limits of his love. For eternity, we're going to continue to see revealed in new ways his love for us. May it be true today that we don't find ourselves stagnant in our relationship with the Lord, but growing day by day in his love. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to ask you to stand and we'll just close in prayer and invite you with me just to ask the Lord tonight to fill us again afresh with his love perhaps for some of us for the first time. But that it would be personal and true and real in each of our hearts. And that from that, we can share that to this world around us. Father, we are thankful that the God of the universe, the God outside of time who the God who was and is and is to come, the beginning and the end, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, 
the creator and sustainer of all things. That in the vastness of creation, you would even here tonight look down upon a bunch of grasshoppers like us and you love us. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We, uh, we sang of it this evening, how deep the love of God for us. We will never exhaust that well. And yet, Lord, we also want to drink deeply of it. And I would just pray for each one of us tonight, here, maybe listening online, Lord, we might be refreshed and filled anew and full in the love of God. Lord, maybe for some of us, we've, we've drifted from that. We've gotten caught up in all the things. Lord, maybe for some of us, uh, we've had competing with our relationship with you, worry and fear and anxiety, and those things have gripped us. And Lord, we invite and ask for the love of Christ uh, to cast out fear, worry, sorrow, anxiety. Father, may we be able just to rest tonight and be strengthened in the love of Christ. Thank you for the gift of your love. And Lord, as we have been recipients of that, Lord, we also want to be transmitters of that. <laughs> we want to uh, express and give and, and dedicate ourselves to you. And Lord, to share that love with this world. And so Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Calvary, Miami, who uh, I've so personally experienced their love. And for you and for one another, I pray it would grow more and more. And Lord, may they be able just to um, be a light to, to this city, this community, for the love of Christ. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. God bless you. Hey, family, if you need uh, to pray with anyone, pray with any of the pastors, maybe it's the first time. Uh, you've ever decided, said, man, I, I want that love of Jesus. I encourage you to come up front. There'll be pastors up front. Uh, maybe it's been a long time and you've left your first love and you haven't even realized it. I encourage you, come up front, pray with the pastors. If not, go with the Lord. You're dismissed. <laughs>